Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to Unpopular. I have a little bit of a horror-themed episode today because I spent the last week catching up on all of the latest like horror shows and movies, so I watched Halloween Kills with Kyle Richards, uh, I watched the Woke Chucky TV series, the Scream trailer, uh, even the I Know What You Did Last Summer series, and then of course I dealt with the... Uh, evil villainous ghouls of Sutton and Garcelle on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So I'm getting into all of it. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts on the Beverly Hills reunion, you guys, of course. Uh, I feel very vindicated, honestly. And I've been getting dragged and fucking roasted on Twitter for the last week about my Beverly Hills opinion. So we're going to get into that. Uh, by the way, my move went well. Okay, so uh, yes, I'm back in my hometown with uh, my mummy and my stepdad. I will give you the full story on Patreon. But look, in a nutshell, it's going fine. I know you guys think that I'm like horrible to my mother, and uh, I'm just like a problem, a problem child. I shouldn't even call myself a problem child, like an overgrown like man baby. But things are actually fine. We just get on each other's nerves when she comes to visit me or we're on the phone together. But when I'm on her turf, it's it's actually okay. And look, I'll just tell you all the personal stuff on Patreon this week sometime, uh, maybe sooner than later, or maybe it'll be a few days. Look, now that I'm back here, I've got to like seize my moments to record when they're off, you know, doing something and not fucking eavesdropping on everything that I fucking do. So yeah, look, let's get into Beverly Hills. Cause I was going to talk a little bit about Vanderpump Rules and Salt Lake City, but I actually don't have much to say about them at all. And, uh, you know, Vanderpump Rules is fine. And, um, Salt Lake City is irrelevant until Jen Shah gets arrested. Part one of that reunion was fucking amazing. And I just feel so good now about where I've stood on all of these issues because one, Erica came off a lot better than even I expected. I've kind of been leaning more to like pro Erica lately, but I thought she was really good for the most part of the reunion. And then Garcelle, who I'm very critical of, was one million times worse than I thought. I actually thought she might be good at the reunion, Garcelle. I'm like, oh, she's going to tone it down. Garcelle was horrible to the point that like I was seeing tweets and messages about Garcelle from people that are kind of like turning on her a bit now and I'm like oh my god thank you I tried to fucking tell you all season what this woman is like so if you're still team Garcelle after that reunion you're not watching the show you're watching a storyline you made up in your head so let's just get into Erica first um she delivered like the performance of a lifetime uh I kind of couldn't believe what I was watching when Andy had her on the chair and she just launched into this. It was like I was watching an Oscar winning courtroom drama. And, you know, she already talks like this old timey, like movie starlet. And then she styled her hair in kind of like a vintage Hollywood hair. So it just all worked perfectly. She's so self-assured, like she always is, but she had like a smidge more empathy compared to the season where her empathy was at zero, it looked like. Um, But yeah, literally just in this intro to the reunion, it was like a couple of minutes. And I feel like she just, in that one chat with Andy, she almost addressed like everything people have been criticizing her about. Uh, She seemed to have rational explanations for a lot of stuff about, look, things were unfolding in real time. I was discovering it as you were. I just needed um, a little compassion to get my head around it. Uh, I understand why people think that I'm cold. 
I think that the victims, if they've been wronged, they should be made whole. Like, you know, I've been, I've been treated like I'm guilty from the get-go, but I have absolutely nothing to hide and I'm going to prove it. So, pretty fucking amazing. And again, the Erica haters, like, they always change their story about why they hate her because now that she said this, like, they're still going to hate her. Like, we're going to watch the other parts of the reunion. She's probably going to address a lot of the stuff she's criticised about. She'll probably show more empathy for the victims and then they're still going to hate her because they just change, they change whatever the reason is to hate her so they can continue hating on her because first it's like, she's guilty, then they realise she's not guilty. Then it's like, we don't like her tweets, you know. She didn't show any empathy and now she's showing empathy. It'll be something else. So, whatever, guys. Um, Get a life. You're a hater. Uh, Nothing she does is ever going to change your mind. Oh, and I saw the people on Twitter, they're trying to make a big deal now about how she was saying alleged victims. You know she has to say that because it's an ongoing legal matter. She's not like taking away from the victims or doubting their stories. Like, Wendy Williams has allegedly every day on a fucking show when she's talking about stuff. It's just a thing that you do to protect yourself legally. So, calm down. Again, you guys are just nitpicking anything to do with her. I can't wait for the next three parts of the reunion, and we're really going to get into the Erica of it all, and the previews are incredible, but part one was actually more about Lisa Rinna and Dorit versus Garcelle, and Garcelle came off so fucking badly, okay? Like, so Dorit called her out on everything, everything I've been saying, if you go back and listen to my old episodes where I'm like clarifying things because the way that the people on Twitter interpret it versus like what Garcelle's actually done are two different things. So Dorit sounded like me basically when she was going against Garcelle Garcelle, and she was bringing up how Garcelle takes these jabs all the time and that she does it incessantly and that she never communicates with people in good faith, right? It's either like she's in silence, so she sits there in silence and doesn't say anything, or she makes like a jab or, you know, a sly dig from the side. It's never like a good faith, you know, oh, hey – um, you know, I really don't agree with what you did. The only time she's ever done that is with Lisa Rinna when it was a made-up issue about Denise Richards. But um, they played the scene where the women were trashing Sutton at dinner and Garcelle, like, sits there in silence and says nothing. And then in a confessional, she's like, why would they say this? They know I'm Team Sutton. And it's like, mm, um, you never say anything in the moment. And by the way, Sutton didn't say shit to defend Garcelle at the reunion either. They never defend each other. It's so funny. Like, when they're on Instagram and they're doing these stupid photos together, like, we're besties, and, you know, they want to get, like, likes and comments from the fans, they do it then. And then sometimes when they're in press interviews together, the all these lame fucking journalists or whatever, like Hollywood Life or, fuck, you know, Housewives Nightcap, they're like, we love you and Garcelle and Sutton, you're, you're our favourite duo, dynamic duo, name a more iconic duo. And then they, like, play into their friendship thing, but they're never, like, defending each other when it actually counts, like, in the show. So... It's They're not even real friends, okay? It's an alliance. It's a friendship of convenience. Sutton's a lunatic. No one could be friends with her in real life. So, when one of them is off the show, they're just- they're going to be, like, acquaintances, and that's it. And it's embarrassing that you guys are actually falling for it. It's just audience pandering. They do this all the time. Kyle and Lisa Vanderpump did this. They hated each other, but they pretended to be besties because they knew that fans enjoyed it. And Phaedra and um, Portia did that for a few seasons where they were, like, freaking, freaking fraud or whatever it was. Uh, that was not real. Like, that was so stupid. So, you guys fall for anything. Um, 
Oh my god, speaking of audience pandering, Sutton is in law school now, and she- Oh, she's doing some kind of legal course, and she said that um, Erica Jane's legal issues inspired her. She is- I tweeted this as well. I'm like, she's a fucking ambulance chaser, leeching onto Erica for relevance. Don't you guys see that she just went after Crystal and Erica to get a diamond on the show? Like, it's so transparent. It leaked- forever ago that Sutton wasn't even full-time on this season. Like, when they were filming, it was, like, a friend role, and then she got... I don't know when she specifically got upgraded, but it that came out ages ago. I'm sure if you Google it, you'll be able to find it. So... And we've kind of forgotten that, right? Because so much has happened on the season with Erica, but it's like, girl, you are a friend of the show, and you just went after girls like Crystal and Erica and whoever to be relevant and to get your diamond, and clearly it worked, but... She's so fucking dodgy, and I've been way too nice to her, I think, because I do think that Erica did need to be questioned. Like, I agree that people should have questioned her, and I don't think it should have been, like, Lisa Rinna or something, because Lisa is her friend, so why would you turn on your friend? But I think, of course, someone new coming into the group should have questioned Erica, so I um, didn't have a problem with that. But yeah, look, even though she did her job asking Erica the questions, I've just been too easy on her because I just feel like there's so many shady things she's done now that I've, like, overlooked. And it's so weird as well that she stayed in Kyle's house paying mates rate, so, like, discounted rate. She was only meant to be there, I think, for, like, three months. Was it three weeks or three months? I don't know. She wasn't meant to be in there that long. And then she stayed there for, like, a whole year. And Kyle seemed, like, not that cool with it, but it seemed like it was, like, more awkward to ask her to leave. So, uh, she let her stay, and then she she almost burned Kyle's house down, okay? Kyle brought it up at the reunion. She showed a photo of the fireplace, and it had all of this fire damage and, like, black charcoal pretty much, like, going up the wall, and Sutton sort of lied about it at first. Like, she acted like she didn't know what happened or how it happened. And then when Kyle brought the photo out, then Sutton, like, admitted it. So, it was just weird. It's like, okay, you're trying to pretend that, like, you didn't burn her house down. Um, I don't trust her at all. There's something off with her. They played this compilation of her as well um, about her, like, weird behavior with Crystal at the start of the season and all the times she was sort of melting down. And it's like, when you look at it all in the little package that they air, you're like, oh, she's, like, really unstable and kind of insane. Like, I just feel like we kind of forgot about it with all of the Erica stuff, but she's a Looney Tune, and I have been getting red flags from her for a while, but I keep forgetting about it because so much other stuff's happening. But then you look at it and you're just like, I don't know, something weird about her, and they're not going to be able to hide it on the show forever. Like, you can't cover up that kind of crazy. She's another Shannon Bedore, and it's like, people like Shannon because Shannon got cheated on, so... Even though Shannon, like, had the most bizarre behavior and was so thirsty and everything, we felt bad. Like, oh, she was, you know, David cheated on her. Poor thing. And she put on weight. So, people liked her. And then when that storyline kind of dissolved, then it's like, oh, we hate Shannon again. And that's what's going to happen to Sutton. So, you know, uh, buckle up Sutton because it's coming. And also, Sutton's popularity isn't really based on loving Sutton. Sutton's popularity is based on how much people hate Erica Jane and they love Sutton by default. And uh, Kyle knows how dodgy Sutton is because Kyle would not have brought that photo out with the fire damage if she didn't think there was something weird about Sutton. And she kind of made a joke out of it because I don't think she wants to put her neck out there. And she played it very safe, part one of the reunion, by the way. She barely said anything. Um, 
But uh, she tried to make it out like a joke because she didn't want, like, the Sutton stands coming for her. But uh, something's weird. Anyway, back to uh, Sutton's equally shady friend, Garcelle. So, Dorit uh, called Garcelle out on the jabs. She used examples. Rene backed her up. Uh, Then she apologized for calling Garcelle a bully. But then she also was like... She said that Garcelle's behavior is like bullying, which it is. And Andy read out some viewer questions uh, from people saying that Dorit was trying to paint Garcelle out as an angry black woman stereotype, which I don't think Dorit was doing at all. And then at one point, Dorit screamed at Garcelle, and then everyone on Twitter was saying that uh, it's a microaggression or a macroaggression or a something aggression. It's racist and everything. So basically, we're at a stage now with the uh, the woke housewives viewers where white housewives can't argue with black housewives although if you're asian it's fine apparently because no one cared when sutton like snapped at crystal multiple times so that's okay but it's not okay with garcelle so of course you know these people make up their own rules about what's racist and what isn't just to suit you know whatever they want to push at that time so whatever uh I'm also, I guessing we're going to have to segregate the casts now because no one's allowed to interact with uh, Garcelle. So, I don't know, back to segregation. Anyway, Dorit did a really great job of dismantling Garcelle piece by piece. And she even snapped at Andy at one point, like, because Andy sort of uh, tried to take Garcelle's side and then Dorit, like, corrected him and he's like, okay. And, yeah, she wasn't taking it lying down, which was good to see because, look, obviously during the season it was clear that the women did not want to have an issue with Garcelle because they knew that they would be called racist. And, oh, what do you know, as soon as they uh, gave in to Garcelle's jabs, they were called racist. So (laughs) I was glad that they finally kind of just spoke their truth at the reunion instead of, uh, you know, staying afraid because we all saw what that was like with those years of Lisa Vanderpump when people were scared of her and it just wrecked the dynamics of the show and we're kind of getting uh, a repeat of that with Garcelle. Anyway, then it was Rinna's turn uh, to get in with Garcelle and she called out Garcelle for uh, basically attacking her all season, uh, for, you know, bringing up Denise constantly, the whole bit. She went through it all. And Garcelle couldn't defend herself because both Dorit and Rinnett did have specific examples of stuff. And when Garcelle would try to, you know, duck and weave or use semantics or something, they would kind of, like, go in a bit more. And then eventually she brought up race because we know now that that is, like, her go-to when cornered because she's done it multiple times now. Uh, So she pulled out of her ass that someone told her that Rinna said that she didn't want race discussed on the show. So someone texted Garcelle, according to Garcelle, saying, Rina told me that she doesn't want you bringing up race on this show. And then Rina's like, I didn't say that. Tell me who said it. And of course, Garcelle won't tell her who said it. Um, you know, and basically what happened is Garcelle did not have a good reason to justify why she was so jabby and shady all season and why she went after Rina. You know, remember she went after Kyle last season for no reason, then she went after Rina all this season. And if she was telling the truth, she would basically have to say, look, I picked on you and I made you my target because I wanted a storyline and um, I know the fans hate you and that they want to see us go, you know, head to head. Maybe a producer was encouraging Garcelle. I don't know, but... Basically, I wanted the fans to like me on Twitter, so I came after you and I really had no justification or basis for doing so. But she can't say that because it just shows how mean and calculated she is. So she threw out this race thing 
but then she couldn't back it up or give receipts. Uh, and, you know, Rinna totally denied it. And Rinna was like, for you to insinuate this shows exactly who you are. And I loved when she said that because it really does. It's like you really for you to pull this out. And by the way, Garcelle's not the only one that does this. Uh it's common for look, it's common for women on these shows, and it doesn't have to be a racial thing. It can be anything. When they get cornered on a reality show and they want to get something over the person they're feuding with, they'll pull anything out their ass. Like remember Kim Zolciak took a photo of Nene parking in the disabled spot so she could come out later and go, bitch, you were parking in a disabled spot. Like they will do this. Billy Lee on Vanderpump Rules, uh Billy Lee was awful and then when she got confronted about it, she said, it's because I'm transgender. Like, people will just pull out anything. A parking spot. Uh, you have roaches in your house. I'm transgender. Uh, will people doing coke in your bathroom? Lisa Rinna did that to Dorit. Like, they all do it. So, you know, just because it's a race thing, people don't want to admit that people will pull that card out. But it's like, they'll pull anything out. It doesn't have to be race. It could be literally anything and Garcelle is doing that and she's playing the card that she has now. And I think if Garcelle had done it once, you could say, okay, Garcelle is, um, you know, this might be genuine of how she feels and she wants to educate the women. But when you do it multiple times and it only seems to come out when you're confronted about something and you're like backs up against the wall, uh, hello, proof's in the pudding. And by the way, I actually believe that Rinna did make this comment. I just think that Garcelle twisted what she said because there's a huge difference between going, I don't want race mentioned at all on the show versus I don't want it to be contrived and weaponized in a way like Ebony did on Roni. So... When Garcelle brought it up, she framed it like Rinna is some Karen that just doesn't want race race topics at all on the show, which I do not believe at all. Like, Garcelle and Crystal had some really good moments on racial topics of, you know, sharing their experiences and everything. So, you can have race on these shows and it's fine. And you can even bring up when someone's being a Karen. Like, I, when I had Crystal on last week, I said I loved when Sutton uh, tried to say that I don't see colour or whatever, or Sutton tried to play a victim of, like, I have stereotypes about me, and then Crystal brought up race. Like, it that happened naturally, so it can work. But, um, yeah, Garcelle only brings it up at convenient times, and I think that she twisted a comment that Rinna may have made to somebody, and she knew that she was twisting it as well. It's just so gross. And watch the reunion really closely and just look at how Garcelle lies and deflects. She uses semantics. She was gaslighting. Like, she was awful. Like, there was one part where she sort of tried to lie about uh, a comment she made about Rinna on Watch What Happens Live, and then Andy kind of called her on it because she kept trying to dodge and go, well, I didn't say that, and then you said that and stuff, and then when Andy got to the bottom of it, she's like, all right, yeah, I said it. It's like, okay, girl, see? You lie when confronted. Like, her first instinct is always, when she's confronted, she lies and denies, and then when she's pushed on it, she admits it, and then she swings back at you later with some bullshit about it's racially motivated or I'm an outsider, you know what I mean? Like, hi, when she did with Kyle, goes after Kyle, all year, one-sided, incessantly, uh, poking bully-esque behavior, Kyle finally responds to her at the reunion, says, you didn't pay at the charity. Garcelle lies. She goes, I did, you're lying. I did pay at the charity. Hello, we find out later. She didn't pay at the charity. So Kyle was correct. Then uh, they start the season. She brings up with Kyle, hey, that was a microaggression because there's a stereotype that, you know, black people don't pay or something. And do you know that you were doing this to me? And then Kyle's rolling over like, I'm so sorry, I never meant that. Uh, thank you for educating me. And then is like trying to be besties with her. So 
you know, what about um, as well in the season, they called her out for making up like lies in the press. Like, why did you go to the media and say that we're all coming for you? Because then that paints out like, what? The mean girls are coming for Garcelle. And obviously just optics wise, it doesn't look good to think that the white cast are coming after the one black cast member. And then she started crying and said, do you know how hard it is for me being the only black woman in this group and deflect and they all had to hug her and stuff. So it's like, girl, every time. And then again at the reunion with Lisa, Serena, like, wake up, Jesus Christ. Like, she's full of shit. Watch the seeds back, roll the tape back, okay? Um, She's doing it for storylines and stuff. She's so vindictive. And do you remember the story? Before she joined the show, she had the ex-husband, right? And he was cheating on her, and she found out, and she emailed everybody at the CAA agency, because he worked at CAA as a Hollywood agent, and she emailed everyone about him, how he had an affair. This is what she emailed, okay, because I just pulled it up. She wrote, Tiger Woods, Jesse James, Mike Nylon, the the guy's name is Mike, that's her ex-husband, and she goes, what do they have in common? I found out today that my husband of almost nine years has been having an affair for five years with some slut in Chicago. I'm devastated, and I have been duped. Our boys don't deserve this. Um, Look, no sympathy for cheaters, okay? He deserved that, and it's kind of badass that Garcelle did that. I just... Always knew that story and thought it was super cool that Garcelle dragged his ass. But now that I've watched her on the show and I've seen the way that she waits and vindictively, like, comes back at people, I'm like, wait, was there more to this story than we know? Like, I don't know. She's shady. And remember a few weeks ago I told you that weird clip as well when she was, like, jabbing at Lonnie Love on The Real? She's fucking weird, dude. Like... So is Sutton. That's why they're besties. Two weirdos. Um, And, yeah, so she gets exposed. And then it looks like there's no hope between Rinna and Garcelle to ever make up. Because it's like, hello, in real life, why would Rinna want to be friends with someone who just falsely insinuated on TV in front of millions of people that you may be racist? Um, And has been, like, attacking you as well on the show for no reason. Well... Rina, being the reality TV mastermind that she is, she seizes this kind of small moment towards the end to make up with Garcelle. And she's like, you know, I want to be friends. And she makes this, she makes it into such a perform performance and a spectacle. And it's so insincere and so weird, but she's so over the top with it that it's kind of like Garcelle can't turn her down because then that would just be even more awkward. But you can tell Garcelle doesn't want to be friends with her. Like, Garcelle is still kind of stewing, I think, and I don't think Garcelle likes how everyone pushed back on her, because even Crystal at one point kind of backed up uh, Rinna and and Dorit, so Garcelle doesn't like it, but then Garcelle's kind of forced to be her friend, and I was disappointed that Rinna had to be that fake in that moment, um, because I do think what Garcelle has done to her now is like kind of irredeemable, but... You know, Rina sees the bigger picture. She's learned how to play this game because she's, you know, she's faced off against Kim Richards. She's faced off against Lisa Vanderpump. These are, you know, two very toxic, vindictive, calculated people. And, you know, Rina has, has survived and she just knows how to keep it moving. And she knows that it's just better for her overall if she can just try to squash this Garcelle thing and move on to the next season with a clean slate. So if Garcelle keeps trying it with her, like it's just it's going to look like you're really flogging a dead horse. So she's cutting Garcelle off. Um, I think the best way to deal with someone like Garcelle is to kind of kill her with kindness, which is the approach we see a lot of the women do. Like that's what Kyle has done. And I'm sure Dorit will, 
will probably do that as well. Unless unless Dorit feels desperate for her diamond. Maybe if the producers go, Dorit, you're on thin ice, maybe she'll give Garcelle more of a hard time. But um yeah, you've just got to you can't give her the conflict storyline that she wants and she will try to bait you into it and she needs it because she doesn't bring that much else. Uh, Her wardrobe isn't great. Her house isn't impressive by Beverly Hills standards and her solo storylines are awful because last season all she did was drive to work while having conversations on speakerphone and not show up to certain cast events. And then this season all she was scrolled through Bumble profiles on a laptop. She brings nothing outside of these contrived confessionals that are basically just her reading at tweets from Bravo fans. And same goes for fucking Sutton. What was Sutton's storyline besides coming after Erica? What, she broke her ankle and is living in Kyle's house? Snooze fest, like at least the other people had stuff going on. So to hell with Sutton and Garcelle. Um, oh, and yeah, and also the night of the part one of the reunion, Garcelle was back on Watch What Happens Live, like throwing jabs and shade. So, you know, whatever. Look, she's a Hollywood actress. Actresses are famously needy and insecure and desperate for adoration and validation. So I believe she will continue behaving in the manner that she has been for as long as it gets her good tweets and Instagram comments. So whatever. Anyway, uh, I've been getting destroyed on Twitter over the last week, actually in like kind of a weird way that... um, it's just fucking weird. So, uh, I mean, obviously I get called racist for any time I mention Garcelle. So, that's like par for the course. I'm used to that now. And it doesn't actually bother me because you guys do show me a lot of support because it's like I'll go on Twitter and it's like a mental asylum. But outside of Twitter, it's like I have, you know, the Patreon. I have you guys DMing me. I have nice comments on Instagram. Uh, I have pretty good reviews on the pod. By the way, shout out to everyone that's left me a review recently. I got a bunch of new uh, really nice ones pop up. So, yeah, it, that doesn't bother me anymore like it used to. Because I know you guys actually come and support me and subscribe to the Patreon and everything. But uh, I get that all the time. But then when I defend Erica, that's like a whole different set of crazies. Because you have the woke people that call you racist. And then you have the people that are like just obsessed with Erica Jane. That anyone that says anything favorable to her, they just lose their mind. So uh, I got dragged like a week ago because I tweeted something about Erica. I said like... Uh, Stop blaming Erica for Tom Girardi's crime. Something like that. And it triggered a bunch of people, which I knew it would, uh, but then they were still responding days later. I'm like, oh my God, shut up. And I muted it. But uh, what was weird was like, it's just spiraled into this thing where all of these other accounts were like screenshotting me and being like, you know, oh, he blocked me. Like it was a badge of honor. And they're making like threads about me and talking about me, you know, personally as a person instead of like the Erica Jane of it all. Uh, And people were DMing me this stuff too. Like they were going, oh, look, these accounts are talking about you. And it just seemed like a really big overreaction to an Erica Jane tweet. Like I was just uh, surprised by the intensity um, of the response. And then also how specific people were with me. Cause it's like, people must think like, I know there's all like these housewives fans that hate me on Twitter, but they must think that I'm like bigger than I am. Like I have a niche podcast. Like I'm not, um, who are the big podcasters? Fuck. I don't know. I'm not obvious. I'm not fucking Dax Shepard. I'm not Danny Pellegrino. I'm not at Watch What Crappens. Like, I'm none of them. Like, it's like a niche thing. So, for people to be like, oh my God, like he blocked me and loving it and like trying to get in fights with me or something on Twitter, 
it's just weird because it's like you're wasting your energy. Like I get if look, I get if you're like a teenager, right? And you're trolling like Addison Ray and you want her to block you and then when she blocks you, you love it because it's like you got a reaction out of her, because whatever. You're young and immature. Al- Addison Ray is like super relevant, but then when you're doing it to me, it's like I'm not relevant enough for you to be like this heated over me and like care this much about my opinion and uh, you know, dissecting everything I say. So that's what it gets weird. So there's this one account in particular, and I actually don't want to say her username because I know that she'll want like the clout from being mentioned. So I'm not even gonna say who she is. She needs a code name so I can tell you guys what happened without promoting her. I want to call her the C word, but I just think it's so gross when men use that word about women. Like I just think it's kind of I don't know. You've got, you can only whip that one out if it's like really bad, and this isn't bad enough to warrant that. So. Let's just call her Claire. C for Claire. Um, anyway, she's this, like, sad Bravo stan. She looks like, um, this is by her, like, display picture. She looks like an aging millennial you would find in, like, a Target parking lot carrying discounted photo frames and bathroom accessories that she got from the bargain bin there. And she's, like, struggling to carry them all and get them, uh, you know, to her beat-up car. So she was actually always nice and supportive to me. And she followed both of my accounts, my personal account and my podcast account. And she would tweet nice things about me and be like, I love you and I love your, you know, unfiltered opinions. And I think she was a Leah uh, fan of Leah McSweeney. And obviously I was like the only person defending <laughs> Leah uh, during the last season of New York. So she um, she liked my interview that I did with Leah. So I thought we were cool. And I followed her back on my uh, my podcast, Twitter, I thought it was all good. And then one of these freaks that was, uh, I don't know, mad about me uh, tweeting about Erica Jane, they, um, they, I don't know if they quote tweeted me or they screenshot of me or something. I can't remember, but they were like, uh, why is he verified? Like, you know, we need to stop verifying nobody's um, Twitter. We need an audit of his account or something, you know, complaining about my blue tick, right? Which was just, it was just like lame. I was like, okay, get a life. Uh, and this chick responds to him, the one that I see for Claire, Claire, she responds to him and she's like, um, you can get verified if you have your own podcast and then they confirm you're a celebrity because you told them that you uh, decided you were one, basically. It's a loophole. Like, as if I'm like so lame that because I have a podcast, like I would like message Twitter pretending I'm relevant to get verified. Like, first of all, why are you even shading me? I thought we were cool. Like, why are you making out like I'm just some loser that went and was like desperate for a blue tick? I thought we were good. Secondly, I've had my blue tick for years, many years before I even did a podcast because I'm a journalist at a major media outlet and all journalists can get them. Um, Because obviously you're in that field, so you have to be like verified, which by the way, like Literally anyone can get a, a blue tick that works in any kind of media outlet. So I'm not saying it's special. Um, they're pretty easy to get, but yes, I have one. And it's also why I'm like, don't trust someone just because they have a blue tick. I mean, most people hate people with blue ticks anyway, but um, whatever. I have a blue tick, okay? And I got it because of the industry that I work in because I work in the media. Unlike this fucking loser, Claire in the Target parking lot. Uh, you know, I get paid to do this stuff. I'm not just like tweeting for free. And just because you're a relevant blob of nothingness, it doesn't mean that everyone else is too, okay? Also, by the way, this is just a side note, but like I always get dragged on Twitter for my unpopular opinions, which, you know, it's inspired my podcast and stuff. So it's all good. Like I don't care. Um, 
But it is like, it's funny sometimes when they're like, oh my God, he's so wrong. Oh my God, he always has the worst takes. And it's like, dude, you know that I actually work at like one of the biggest media outlets there is. I talk to like all these like housewives and Bravo people on and off the air and like PR people and people that like work on these shows and like other reality stars and stuff. Like, I'm not saying that I know everything. Okay. I'm not fucking Ryan Seacrest. Like I'm pretty low on the totem pole, but do I have more information and probably a more accurate read on these shows and the people in these shows and like, you know, behind the scenes, like tea and gossip? Do I have a better read on that than like some fucking twink Karen that spends all day watching Bravo and like shitty Ryan Murphy shows and tweeting about it? Yeah, I fucking do. Okay. So it's just funny to me when people get so worked up about like my tweets and my opinions on the show, like I'm so wrong. And it's like, dude, if you knew how many fucking people like verify some of my opinions behind the scenes or like stuff that I can't share publicly or they tell me about people, you'd be like, oh, oh my God. Like that's why I'm also like probably overcritical of how fake the shows are. Cause then when people give me like the real, you know, real story on things that happened or whatever, they'll be like, oh, you're totally right about this person. They're so popular, but like, this is what they did. It's just Whatever. So, yes, I do know more than you. That's a fact. Uh, Anyway, C for Claire, right? So, she tweets this shady thing about me being verified. Again, it's just weird. Like, why are you even making fun of my verification? And then she tweets something else to some other Bravo fan account. And she goes, ha, 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 ha. That comment got me immediately blocked. Like Lizzo says, the truth hurts. Okay. First of all, like, Lizzo sucks, so I wouldn't even be quoting her songs, because she is annoying, Lizzo's annoying, and you are annoying, Claire. Also, the second thing, like, she wasn't blocked. Like, she was still following me. I didn't block her or any. I didn't even like a negative tweet about her or tweet at her or anything, so it's like... I was just weirded out by it because I'm like, okay, so people are like bashing your housewife sands or whatever are like bashing on me for supporting Erica Jane, which I knew they would, so I didn't care, but... Like, why is someone making up that I'm someone that I'm cool with as well? But just why are you, like, making up like I'm blocked by you that, like, it's some badge of honor? Like, who are you trying to impress? That's so weird and pathetic and sad. Like I said, I'm not even relevant. So, I, like, direct message her and I'm just like, you know, I thought we were cool. Uh, I am verified because I'm a journalist. I've been, you know, working in this industry for, you know, a long time and nobody blocked you. Like, why did you say this? Like, I wasn't even attacking her. And, like, of course, she didn't even respond. So, it's just so weird. And I was kind of tempted to, like, fucking roast her publicly, to be honest, on the timeline. But then I knew she would enjoy it too much um, and that she would love getting the attention. Because, obviously, if you're going to, like, pretend that people block you, uh, if, if you're going to pretend that someone's, like, blocked you, then... Um, you're going to love if I, like, attack you or whatever. But then also I'm like, oh, my God, that just makes me look psycho if I even care what she said. Because it's like when you fight with people, like, you've got to beef with people that are, like, on your level or above your level. Like, you can't go down a level. Um, You can't, like, go mix with the lessers. So I'm like, this is just so dumb. I'm just going to talk about this on the podcast because – and that was just one of the many weird tweets. Like, look, the reason that I even bring up this childish story is – Because, look, I'm the only person, right, that has defended Erica Jane's social media presence and how she's handled things. Like, even people that I know that like Erica Jane and kind of agree with my take on it, they're still like, oh, I don't think that her, you know, social media was appropriate or she should have just stayed off of Twitter or whatever. And I just am like, how else are you going to react to it? 
to how else are you going to behave on social media when these are the kind of like people that message you all the time? Because it's like for the past week on like such a micro level, I've had this chick making up things, you know, shading me. Um, and then people were like making weird threads about me. They're just being really specific and like a total misread on who I am and calling me racist and um, having back and forth conversations about me, you know, kind of like they know me or something, which is like, you really don't. Even people that are like on my Patreon, you know, like a sliver of my life. So even just to have like, I'm talking about fucking like a tiny, tiny group of people bitching about you on Twitter is like weird and annoying enough. Imagine being Erica Jane, the scale that she experiences this on with like such a serious thing going on in her life uh with you know who knows what's going to happen to her, all this information's unfolding for her this is when she was acting you know savage on twitter as all this stuff's coming out and then you just have all these fucking karens and people like analyzing everything and thinking that they know you from seeing you on an edited uh, on an edited tv show which she was very guarded on that show too like we didn't even from the years that we watched her, we didn't find out that much about her. Like, she's so pro- private. So, I just think, like, I don't know. No matter how hard I try and I try to see other people's perspective on the fact that she's apparently inappropriate on Twitter, every time I see the Bravo fans, I'm like, you go, girl. Like, Erica, th- this, is the, this is the correct response. That's all I can say. Okay, uh, let's do The Real Housewives of Melbourne really fast. And I'm going to be honest, I actually regret already uh, committing to these recaps because it's only episode two and I'm I'm over it, seriously. <laughs> uh, I tend to be overly optimistic, I think, on a premiere and like very forgiving because I'm just excited to see the cast back on TV. And when things are fake on premieres, I'm like, well, I know they've got to like set up storylines for the rest of the season. So, you know, I'll give it a pass, but... You know, this this new episode was not great. So, this yoga teacher, Cherry, that they've added, she's one of the new people. She's got to go. She is so boring. She has no star quality at all. Uh, she just fades into the background and her confessionals are dull. This other new girl, Simone, she's been hyped up a lot by producers. Um, they hyped her up on the Ben Norris TV Reload podcast. That was actually a really good interview with the executive producers of the Housewives of Melbourne franchise. But they hyped up this Simone and, you know, she's this pretty blonde businesswoman. She's very attractive. She's, I think, younger than the other Housewives, but... She's trying way too hard to be the normal one in the group, and it's a dud. It's boring as well. And the funny thing is that when she was cast, my inbox on Instagram blew up with messages saying, uh, Simone's crazy, she's outrageous, you know, I know her ex-boyfriend, she did this, she did that. So I was thinking, wow, she's going to be the firecracker of the season. And now we're two episodes in and she's done nothing, so goodbye. Uh, the champagne dame Kyla, she's the other new girl that I told you about last week. She's amazing. Like, she um, is really great casting. She has a lot going on in her personal life because her business partner is also her fiance and they're having like a marriage slash business breakdown. And then she's also in drama in the group because she's feuding with Janet. So we love her. And the other new housewife, Angeli. She's great. They just introduced her. Her personality is so big and bizarre and (laughs) just jumps off the screen. So, she is a former CNN newsreader who has just moved back to Melbourne. And her storyline is that she is bisexual (laughs) and ready to date men and women. So, she's a bisexual news anchor. She also brags about how she was so rich when she worked at CNN that she had three yachts and that her child had a maid 
I call bullshit on that because the only CNN presenter with that kind of money is Anderson Cooper, and that's because he comes from a really wealthy family, not because of his CNN salary. So she's either lying or she had like a really wealthy uh, ex-husband or something. I do love her, though. She's really entertaining. She kind of reminds me of Petty Fleur, you know, one of the craziest housewives of all time. Uh But yeah, look, overall, the show's not great. It's way too fake, like the Cheshire Housewives is, like very, very produced. And this is, this feels like even more produced than some of the previous seasons, which were already kind of pushing it. And the new girls, they're not cutting it. uh, And we need Gina and Lydia back. They're all acting. And it's so obvious because they keep pretending, this is the biggest thing, they keep pretending that they don't know each other and that they're meeting for the first time. But they held a press conference back at the beginning of 2020 before they'd even started filming to announce the new cast. So it's like they wheeled out the new cast for the media and they did like this whole press day and everything. So by the time they started filming this season, because it was delayed last year due to the COVID pandemic, they'd known each other for at least a year. And some of them had relationships going back before then and they all pretend on camera that they're just meeting for the first time it's so inauthentic and a lot of the activities they do are very stale like in this recent episode they went to cryotherapy which you guys know was a housewife staple about five years ago i really think these corny australian producers are just watching old seasons of beverly hills and copying it because last week they had a fight uh where kyla complained about the glassware and that was copied straight from dorit so I don't know. These Australian producers are just not great because the Australian Bachelor franchise is horrible as well. The only good Australian reality shows are Married at First Sight and some of the seasons of Australian Survivor, but I don't know. I didn't think that season four of Housewives of Melbourne was that great either, to be honest. I think it peaked with seasons like two and three. Uh, The other issue with this is the fights on the show, right? The ones that are actually real and don't seem scripted. They're about text messages that happen off camera and break the fourth wall. So last week, Janet exposed Kyla for texting the group about having to step up their fashion game for filming. I mean, if you read between the lines, what happened was Kyla had told the women, hey, we're on a TV show, like get your fashion up. And Janet called called her out about that. This week, the drama is that Angeli and Gamble, Gamble's sort of one of the OGs, they did a podcast together. Obviously, they were they were on this podcast because they're Housewives of Melbourne, so that's already breaking the fourth wall because they're all sort of meant to be meeting for the first time, but then it's like, hang on, you were doing, like, press together? And they did a podcast together, and Gamble apparently told Angeli that they should gang up on Kyla and call her a smelly air instead of a Somali air, however you pronounce it. You know the wine thing? Uh, And that's so juvenile, and I can totally see Gamble doing that. But the fight kind of doesn't make sense the way that it plays out, unless you're, like, very savvy to reality TV and you can read between the lines and be like, oh, you know, they've they've contrived this, Gamble has, because she wants to go after Kyla because she knows it'll make a good scene for the TV show. And they just edited and kind of produced the fight uh, poorly. They didn't flashback to like clips from the podcast that they were talking about or anything and then they make up at the end and then the way they make up at the end kind of seems out of the blue too so not great but thank god for janet because we do know that at some point during the season she's going to drop some bombshell about kyla that turns the season on its head and that should hopefully result in some real drama for once so fingers crossed that the producers actually capture that on camera and it's not revealed via a text message 
Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, the latest horror stuff that I watched because I sat through a lot of shit over the last few days for this podcast. Yes, there are probably spoilers here, so you've been warned. Spoiler alert. Okay, so Halloween Kills with Kyle Richards is really fucking bad. And yes, I know that it's like breaking box office records or something for like an opening weekend on a horror movie of making all this money. It's so bad. Uh, I was actually shocked by how terrible it was because the 2018 Halloween that they did with Jamie Lee Curtis was actually really, really good. And I would even rank it as maybe like the best Halloween movie outside of the 1978 original, obviously, which is a masterpiece. But This Halloween Kills was just so wrong in so many ways. Like, it just misses what makes Halloween movies so good, which is the simplicity. Like, Michael Myers is a mysterious, malevolent force that silently stalks you until he gets you, okay? That's it. With Halloween Kills, they made it so convoluted by bringing back all these minor characters from the original Halloween as kind of like a gimmick, and then having these, like, new flashbacks that go back to the original 1978 that are meant to add, like, extra story and context that we really didn't need at all. And then there is this stupid subplot about the townspeople becoming a crazed mob and trying to kill Michael Myers. So they all like band together and march through the town. Everything was just too much. Uh, They added all these new characters too. Like they had this gay couple that live in the old Myers house and they were entertaining, but they were quite campy. So none of it was actually scary. Michael was also too aggressive and powerful. Like, they kind of turned him into more of a Jason Voorhees Friday the 13th vibe. And the reason that he's so scary in kind of the original first maybe, like, two movies is that he's kind of ambiguous as to whether he's superhuman or not. Like, he still comes off like he could be a real serial killer that you could encounter in real life. Like, he could just walk into your house and kill you, but there's also an element about him that seems like he is some kind of representation of evil and maybe he is an entirely human, but you can't really tell. Whereas in Halloween Kills, he's just too powerful. Like, there's one scene where he just goes through, like, killing, like, seven uh seven firefighters and then that looks like a scene from a marvel movie or something and they add all these like lame explainers in about how he is an evil spirit that feeds off fear and becomes stronger and like once you explain it it's not scary because then you kind of know it's like oh okay so that just kind of killed michael myers as a scary villain for me um I would rank this as definitely one of the worst Halloween movies ever, with the exception, obviously, of Halloween Resurrection with Tyra Banks and Buster Rhyme. That's the one where they play reality TV producers who turn Michael's old home into a big brother house. It's really bad, and it kind of... It tried to jump on the bandwagon of the reality TV explosion of the early 2000s, and then also... uh, the found footage of, like, Blair Witch and everything. So, it was sort of trying to do both of those things, and it was a mess. And uh, one reason I'm being so harsh on this is because it does continue directly on from the 2018 Halloween, which kind of, like, taints the 2018 version, like, guilt by association, because then it almost makes you feel like the- because the, this continues, like, right on the same night. It picks up right where the 2018 version left off, and now you just feel like you've watched a movie that went for, like, two hours too long instead of just keeping it it contained to the 2018 one, which wrapped up fine at the end. It was perfect. They just did not need any more. And as shitty as this movie is, and I can't even imagine how bad the next one's going to be because there's still a fucking part three coming, which I don't know if I'm even going to be able to watch part three. I mean, I'm sure I will because I'm a horror fan, but 
Jesus Christ. But as bad as it was, Kyle Richards was actually good. Like, I loved Kyle, and she didn't have a major part in the movie, but uh, I felt like she was kind of the best part of the film, especially once I got over the fact that I'm watching Kyle Richards, because when you see her for the first time, you're like, that's Kyle Richards from The Housewives of Beverly Hills. But then when you adjust to just her being a character in the movie, it's fine. And what I liked about her so much, even though she wasn't featured very much, is that she does have, like, one kind of big scene, which is a chase scene with Michael, and- It's the only part of the movie that's reminiscent of the original. It's just, like, simple, straightforward, and scary. Like, she's just, you know, running through the woods at night, and he's just following her, and it's like, no matter how far you run, he just kind of, like, keeps getting closer. And I loved it. It was the only part that I kind of found scary and interesting. Also, Kyle had those uh, ugly bangs in the movie. Remember, she had the bangs during the season of Beverly Hills, which actually, to be honest, I didn't think they looked that bad, but everyone hated them. But she had the bangs, and this was pre-nose job. And it helped her acting because it's like when actresses get you know, ugly for a role, and it just gives you more character. And I don't think she could play this character as good now Because her new nose is too perfect. Like, she's just too pretty now. So, I liked the styling and I thought it worked really well for the character. And she looked like a real actress. She didn't actually look like a Beverly Hills housewife. So, you know, good for Kyle. Uh, I also watched the new Scream trailer. And, okay, first of all, I hate that they called it Scream. Like, why is it called Scream? Because it's literally Scream 5. It's a direct sequel to Scream 4, it acknowledges all of the previous Scream movies. Someone messaged me and they're like, it's a soft reboot. It's like, it's not a soft reboot. It's either a reboot or it's not a reboot. And this isn't a reboot because all the characters from the original are back playing themselves and acknowledging the previous films. And people actually need to be angrier about this because this is a disturbing trend in Hollywood horror movies now to do this because they did this with Halloween already. They called it Halloween. The 2018 version is called Halloween, but it's a direct sequel to the 1978 Halloween and it disregards all the other sequels. So, by this logic, you now have, you now have a movie and its sequel that both have the same title, Halloween and Halloween. Like, it's so stupid. Like, you can only give it the same name if it's a remake. So, that's why the um, 2019 Child's Play versus the original 1980-whatever Child's Play are two different movies. But when it's a sequel, you can't do that. And this should be a bigger deal to people because uh, it's a crime against cinema and it needs to stop. Anyway, I'm sorry to be so negative, but... I don't think this new Scream looks great. I mean, of course, I'm going to watch it because the Scream movies are- Overall, the Scream movies are pretty good. Like, the original is amazing. I've probably seen the original, like, a hundred times. And the sequels, um, you know, are good to varying degrees. I actually thought Scream 4 was uh, was very good. I, th- I think that was probably the best sequel to me. So, I'm going to watch it. But this just looks like- A run-of-the-mill fifth installment in a horror franchise. You know, when you go back, like, I remember going to the, uh, back when it was, like, the video store and going into the horror section, and this is when I was, like, you know, a little kid, and I hadn't, you know, I wasn't up on all of the horror movies, and you'd go in there and you would see, like, uh, Jason Takes Manhattan and, like, these really, like, random-ass fucking horror sequels that are, like, part fifth and sixth uh, in the franchise, and this is what- 
this looks like to me and not in a meta tongue-in-cheek scream way, just in like a shit way. And I am not that excited to watch a 50-year-old Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox and David Arquette chasing the scream slasher again. Like, I would kind of just rather they had a whole new cast of people, which they do, but it's like, you know, I get why they bring them back because, you know, the fans want to see them, but I kind of just want something that's new because they come back every movie, you know, like they always bring them back in all of them. So, maybe they should try something different. And the storyline now is that the killer is targeting people who are related to the original cast or something and the OGs come back to help the kids out. Uh, Wes Craven is not directing it. He directed all the other films, so that's a red flag. And the new cast of kids... They look pretty unmemorable by the trailer, and I don't recognize any of them. I looked up their names. I don't know their names. So, either I'm just, like, out of the loop with pop culture, or these people are nobodies. And the whole gimmick of Scream is that it's supposed to star, like, the hot, young, trendy actresses of the moment. Like, whether it's, like, the cameo at the start where they get killed off, or it's a a, uh, bigger role like Nev Campbell had. So... Because obviously Nev Campbell at the time, she was on Party of Five, so that's why they cast her. And then they continued that on, and then they put Emma Roberts in Part Four. And, you know, they had Drew Barrymore in the intro of the original. They've had Sarah Michelle Gellar, Heather Graham, Lucy Hale. Jenny McCarthy had a cameo in one. Uh, Hayden Panettiere, however you pronounce her name. So, I was very disappointed that I didn't recognize anybody and I hope that they're going to surprise us with like a cameo from uh you know Addison Rae and Charlie D'Amelio getting murdered I mean if we were following the scream law the intro would be Charlie and Addison being killed that would be pretty awesome so I hope they're hiding something like that for us because if they're not it's just not going to feel like a scream movie it's just going to feel like a cash grab especially because they called it Scream instead of Scream 5. It makes me feel like they're trying to trick people into going to watch it or something. And yeah, I don't know. Not happy. Uh, Speaking of Scream, I watched the first two episodes of the I Know What You Did Last Summer TV series on Amazon. Obviously, I Know What You Did Last Summer is another kind of iconic uh, slasher pick from the late 90s. It was part of the uh, slasher revival that began with Scream and then continued with I Know What You Did Last Summer, which had uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Jennifer Love Hewitt in it. And then we had like Urban Legend and all of these other ones that popped up, Valentine, many of them. I've probably seen all of them and this was another stinker i swear i wanted to like halloween kills and i wanted to like i know what you did last summer because i am a huge horror movie fan going like way back but this sucked so bad and i almost don't even know what to say about it like it's basically a bad pretty little liars knockoff just more boring and with like more sex and drugs to try and like seem edgy It's set in Hawaii, and it starts with this group of obnoxious kids, and they're partying at a friend's mansion to celebrate graduation before they all go off to college. They're doing heaps of drugs and just being trashy. It's very over-stylized in parts of this party, but it's the whole tone of the of it just feels very bleak. It's kind of like the director is uh, wanting to copy, like, Spring Breakers or something, and half of the characters are, you know, gay and bisexual, and they speak in Twitter slang. Like, there's this one chick that's like, uh, come here, my iconic queer king, you know, slay. Uh, Very cringe. And the main characters, this is a spoiler, so consider yourself spoiled, but honestly, like, 
I would be happy to be spoiled on this because, you know, you can see this coming a mile away. So the main characters are these two twin sisters. They look and dress identically, like down to having the same hairstyle, which makes no sense because they have completely different personalities. So I don't know why they would dress and style themselves the same. Uh, And one of them is like really mopey and miserable. And the other one's miserable too, but she is like this huge slut. And I think she's a drug addict and she's like mean and she's a party girl and she's like the popular one. So the group of friends, they leave the party uh, with all of their drugs because some cops show up and then they're all doing drugs and taking selfies in their car when they run over somebody on the road, just like in the original film and in the book. And one of the sisters is driving the car, right? And the person that they ran over is the other sister. Now, can you see this twist coming? Uh, They think that they ran over the mopey sister and they dispose of her body. But then the twist is that it's actually the slutty sister they ran over and the mopey sister is driving the car, but she's wearing the slutty sister's necklace. So they all think she's the slutty sister. And now she's like pretending to be the slutty sister because they flash forward a year and everyone thinks that she is her sister, but it's... um, Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? And you can see it coming. Like, as soon as you see that there's twin sisters on the cast, you're like, okay, one of them's going to die and then um, they're going to think that it's the other one. So, just really obvious. And it doesn't even make sense in the show either when you watch it. Like, um, it just would never happen. It's so implausible uh, on so many different levels. And... The whole two episodes that I watched, they just have, like, stretches, long stretches of, like, nothingness. Like, nothing's happening. It's just bleak and miserable and boring and kind of, like, not great acting. And then they'll throw in, like, an illogical kind of convoluted twist every now and then, which is supposed to keep you engaged. And it's so it feels very lazy. Um storylines are bad, the twists are bad, like, there's a subplot about a cult, there's no substance at all, it's just, like, twists and drugs uh, that are kind of in place of, like, good writing and good storylines. And when I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, like, this is just content. Like, we all watch so much TV now, thanks to streaming, that they can just put anything out and we'll watch it. Like, the fact that I even watched two episodes- Like, I watched two episodes of this. That's like two hours of my life I'm never going to get back. And they put this stuff out and it's not even good. And it's like, just as long as there's something playing on TV, like, we'll watch it. So, it was kind of depressing, actually, because I'm like, wow, this is life now. And uh, I'm not going to tell you not to watch it because I do know that a lot of you guys love this stupid, like, teen mystery shit. So, look, maybe you'll think it's good. Maybe you love, like, this whole- There's obviously a whole genre of this from, like, Pretty Little Liars and all these other shows. I think Cruel Summer was like this. I didn't watch that. Apparently, Cruel Summer is better than this was, but I don't know. If you love that shit, then you'll probably think this is, like, the best show ever, but- It sucks. Now, for some positivity, there is one show that I did actually like, and it's the new Chucky series on the Sci-Fi Network. I don't know how you can watch it in Australia. Uh, They uploaded it on YouTube, but you've got to be in the US. So, I actually paid for a VPN just so I could stream it because I am a big Chucky fan uh, going back to, like, childhood when my mum played it for me and I actually had... It actually traumatized me. I'm not saying that to, like, exaggerate or anything. Like, I would wake up screaming at night if I saw a closet or anything because it was the Child's Play 2 and it was the scene where, which I think is funny now when I watch it because obviously Chucky's kind of like tongue-in-cheek comedy horror, but 
It's the scene where Chucky kills the teacher at school and he comes out of the the closet with the ruler. So I was always like terrified of closets thinking like Chucky was in there and I'd wake up screaming, crying in the middle of the night. And uh, yeah, because my mum let me watch it when I was probably the same age as Andy is in the film. So uh, not great parenting. So uh, look, you guys know the storyline of Chucky, right? It's the Child's Play series about the serial killer, Charles Lee Ray, and he uses voodoo to put his soul into this good guy doll, which is kind of like a takeoff of the Cabbage Patch dolls of the 80s. And then the films just follow him trapped inside of, you know, this doll and he's trying to get his soul out of the doll and back into a human body. So that's basically the premise of Chucky. And they made this TV show now that continues the lore of the movies. It is written by Don Mancini. Or is it Mancini? I'll say Mancini. Don Mancini, he did write and direct all of the Child's Play films and... It's a really strange show, honestly, uh, especially after I watched like Halloween and I Know What You Did Last Summer, which were just sort of so generic and convoluted. Like this wasn't just convoluted crap like those are. This kind of had like good acting and an interesting story and it was a little uh, a little bit left of centre because it is strange to have a whole TV series about this killer doll and... Uh, So, look, it's about this nerdy kid named Jake. I think he's, like, 13 or 14. He's gay. He's bullied at school for being gay. He is a budding young artist that is making a sculpture out of doll parts. So, that's why he ends up with the Chucky doll, because he picks it up at a yard sale to use in his sculpture. And his mother was an artist. She died. So, he's being raised by his dad. The dad is this homophobic, blue-collar boozer who just doesn't agree with his son being gay or pursuing art or anything. He's kind of an asshole, the dad. And most of the premiere really is just about this kid, Jake, being bullied for being gay. And, you know, I have to say the whole episode, it's pretty woke. Like, they really villainize the dad a lot, which, I mean, fair enough, but they villainize the dad and then the other villain besides Chucky, although I think we you kind of meant to root for Chucky because it's Chucky and we all love Chucky, but the dad is like a villain. And then the school bully is this rich white, like Paris Hilton type of girl. And then all of the other characters are minorities. Like the main kid is Hispanic. He has a crush on this black kid at school who runs a true, pri- uh, true crime podcast Uh, His cousin is Asian because his uncle married an Asian woman. And it's funny seeing how the casting directors now, like, they're just breaking their backs to fit in diversity wherever they can, which I'm not criticizing, by the way. So, you know, I think it's a good thing. Relax. Um, It's just that I barely watch any of these, like, new scripted American shows. So, whenever I end up, like, being in front of, like, an I Know What You Did Last Summer or a Chucky, like, it does always stand out to me because I just remember more, like, racially homogenous casts. Like, for example, um, I, you know what, that I watch a lot of Asian stuff, so I'm used to everyone being, like, straight and Asian. Um... What else? The few scripted shows that I have enjoyed, like uh, Mad Men, The Americans, Mindhunter, those are period shows set in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, so people are mostly white on those shows. And then I actually did recently watch the Ms. Pat sitcom on BET, which I loved, where everyone's black. So, it's just funny seeing the new Hollywood things where it's like, 
they're trying to find any way they can to make everyone like gay and, you know, Asian and just whatever they can. Like they'll make sure all of the relationships are interracial. So they have interracial kids or they, um, you know, everyone's adopting so they can adopt kids of different races. And every friend group is like someone of a different race. Like back in the day, they would have the token black friend, which South Park obviously famously made fun of with their character token. But now it's like you'll have a white kid, a Hispanic, an Indian an Asian kid, a black kid, like, like it would be like one representation of each thing. And then several of them will be, you know, gay or bisexual or trans. Like I know what you did last summer had several uh, non-straight characters. They even mentioned one of the gay guys bottoming in episode two. She's like, oh, you're a bottom, right? Or something. I'm like, give me a break. Uh, I don't know if straight, do straight girls talk like that to their gay friends? I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. Um, and, you know, this just... It reminds me of the Seinfeld episode when Elaine eats the cheesy crust pizza and she's like, it's going to be years before they find another place to hide the cheese. That's how it feels with uh, all of the diversity now in the in the latest shows. Anyway, Chucky is pretty woke because besides all that, which is fine, the gay storyline and stuff, they ended the episode with a fucking anti-bullying PSA from Glad of all places. I'm not kidding. I actually couldn't believe that when I saw it because it's like Chucky is traditionally the most politically incorrect horror movie villain out of all of them, I would say. And he's probably the most sadistic because he's not a supernatural monster like Freddy Krueger is or anything. He's actually is a human. He just happens to be inside the the body of this doll. So it makes it even kind of more sickening the things that he does because it's like a real person doing it as opposed to a monster. And to see a fucking glad anti-bullying PSA at the end of the episode is just the antithesis of the franchise. And Chucky himself, like Chucky would kill whoever put that in. Like they would do that in a movie. Uh, I think in one of the movies, it might've been Seed of Chucky. I think they have a joke where he they talk about movie censors or something. I don't know. And in Seed of Chucky, he has a non-binary child, which is um, Glenn or Glenda, but he he wants the kid to be a boy. He doesn't want the kid to be, like, non-binary or be trans or anything. So, Chucky's not woke at all. And then they're putting woke PSAs in the end, and I'm just like, oh, my God, what are we going to have next? Like, are we going to have a trigger warning before a jump scare? Uh, are we going to have, like, a safe space during horror films at the theatre? And I'm not trying to be all like, you know, everyone's a snowflake, wham, but seriously, this isn't a good sign for the horror genre. Uh It's not a good sign. I mean, I don't care when other genres do this kind of thing. Like, I've watched um, some woke shows before. I really liked the first season of Transparent. I wouldn't care if they put a PSA in that. They probably did. They probably did have a fucking PSA at the end of that. But I just feel like, leave the horror genre alone, please. Like, we just don't need the wokeness in there. We don't need everything to be a Jordan Peele film. And it's probably where we're headed. Anyway, despite being a a woke Chucky reboot, whatever, uh, you know, return. It feels pretty organic because Don Mancini, who did write and direct it, he is gay. And you can actually tell that he put a lot of his own experiences into the show. And Chucky is obviously a really personal project for him. This is sort of his baby. So, you know, I'm sure he was the gay bullied nerd in high school. So, it just felt authentic and personal and it didn't come off as like, 
as contrived as other woke stuff does where you just know they're ticking boxes. So I kind of didn't mind it. And the kids are all good actors and they all have interesting characters. Like the blonde girl that plays the school bully, she's such a fucking asshole. Like you hate her so much and you're rooting for Chucky to come out and kill her, which is like what you want for a character like that. And then the kid that um, has the true crime podcast seems quite interesting. So I want to know more about him. And I don't really know where the storyline is going. Um, and it might go too over the top later on. Like, I know that Jennifer Tilly's character comes in as Tiffany and it's going to, like, tie into all the films. And uh, that was one thing I didn't like about Halloween Kills as well was that the uh, the Halloween 2018, anyone could kind of watch that. Like, it had a broad appeal in that as long as you just know the basic of, look, Jamie Lee Curtis was a babysitter and Michael Myers tried to kill her in the original movie. And most people know that that have any knowledge of, like, horror films whatsoever, that's enough for you to be able to watch that movie. Whereas Halloween Kills, like, it just had so many, like, specific references to the franchise that it felt very niche. Like, it felt like it was, you know, just made for the super fans, which would actually be okay if it was, like, a good movie, but it was bad. So, it was like, you didn't have mass appeal and... It was just a niche fan thing, but it was just shit. So, like, even the super fan... Like, you'd have to be, like, a delusional super fan to think that was a good movie, honestly. Uh, But, yeah, back to Chucky. I don't know where the storyline's going, but it's just uh, interesting. Uh, It's an interesting take having it be kind of about this bullied kid who... He seems to team up with Chucky a bit in the original... I mean, in the premiere. We need to watch a few more episodes to see where they go with it, but... um. I think there's also, like, secrets and mysteries in the town that need solving. They always put that stuff in there. Like, they did that with that Psycho Bates Motel show where it was, like, all about the the secrets in the town. And weren't they they were growing drugs or something there? I gave up on that show, I think, after a season or two. It was just becoming a bit much. Uh, and, you know, they didn't use too much CGI for Chucky, which was also good. Uh, but I think they will in the later episodes when he starts to do more. And that's unfortunate because... I hate CGI in horror films because it's not scary and it just looks ugly. And Chucky is so much creepier if you go back and watch the very early films where they just use the animatronics. But um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Chucky series. I'm going to stick with it. I don't know if everyone will like it, to be honest, because it is it's kind of strange. And I don't think it's as conventional as some of the other shit that's out right now. But if you think it sounds like uh, your bag, give it a try. By the way, I uh, watched, I rewatched the 2019 uh, Child's Play reboot with Aubrey Plaza. That's really fucking good. Like, I already liked it when I watched it at the cinema, but then rewatching it, I liked it even more. I think it's just as good as any Chucky film in the franchise. And they modernized it by making Chucky an AI robot. And then the kid in it is this loner and he comes from a broken home and he becomes friends with Chucky and it's kind of sweet in like a weird way. It's very sweet that this like kind of poignant relationship and then Chucky becomes overprotective and increasingly more violent and homicidal, but he's not chasing after Andy. Then he's sort of going after people that he's jealous of or people that he perceives to have harmed Andy. And the whole movie just has a lot more emotional depth, I think, than any of the other films. And it's quite sad, actually, in parts. Like, at the end, obviously, when Andy has to kill Chucky, I felt a bit bad for Chucky. And the new doll design was good, too. It was a very good mix between cute 
and creepy, and he becomes increasingly more scary uh, as the movie goes on with the way they do the design and his facial expressions and stuff. I just think it was really well made. And Don Mancini uh, hated that movie because he didn't do that movie. The studio did it without him. So he was really outspoken against it. So was Jennifer Tilly. And um, I just thought that was funny because he's clearly copied elements from that film for the TV series. So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, anyway, highly recommend Child's Play 2019 for horror fans and the new Chucky series. Anyway, that's it for this week, guys. I want to shout out my new patrons. I haven't done that for a while. I hope I haven't missed anyone. Um, shout out to Jana, Camille, Sarah, Mary Ellen, Bronte, Melissa, and Candice. Your support is amazing. I will drop a new Patreon in the next few days. Like I said, I'm still settling into my new place here and figuring out when I can and can't record. But uh, yeah, I definitely have some stuff to share with you on the Patreon. And you guys can sign up for Patreon at patreon.com slash unpopularjp. You get about two or three bonus episodes a month, and it's a lot more personal than the uh, main show and just a bit more random. Uh, Yeah, and you guys can follow me on social media at unpopularjp on Twitter and Instagram. And I will see you all next week. Oh, and leave me a nice review if you haven't already. I got a few more one stars recently. One is I'm racist. The other one was that my Crystal Minkoff interview sucked and I need to stop supporting Erica Jane. So, um, yeah, if you guys could leave me a good review, which I know a lot of you have, uh, that would be great. Thanks, guys, and have a great week.